Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. In past episodes, we've delved into adult mental health and development. So today we're going to change the focus slightly and focus on young people with my guest, Shane Jamal. To see what we can learn. After all, we've all been young at some point and it'd be great to tap back into that. Born and raised in Western Australia, Shane describes himself as someone who's been through the system and is now a youth worker, counsellor, mentor, strategic advisor and speaker. He has worked in all, all levels of youth from remote Aboriginal communities to local and state level departments, including the Department of Corrective Services in juvenile detention centres, Department of Education and statewide services, as well as private education practices. He has supported over thousands of young people in Perth with low esteem, anxiety, drug, mental health issues, bullying, self-harm, suicidal intentions and abuse issues. He is now Managing Director of Insane, um, which I must say is spelt exactly like his name, (laughs) S-A-I-N, supporting young people to create vision and work through the insane factor offering experiences, connection and support in whatever they would like to achieve. Shane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. Cool. Awesome. cool. So one of the questions I often ask right at the start, yeah. um, particularly for someone like yourself, is you were born and raised in Western Australia. Yeah. Tell me, what was it like growing up in Western Australia and what does it mean to be a West Australian? Oh, okay, cool. Awesome question. Um, so for me, uh, growing up in a suburb called Joondalup, um, now we were actually talking about my cultural background, so coming from a Macedonian Romani gypsy background, a lot of my community or family were kind of born and raised and grew up in sort of North Perth, Yorikine, um, that sort of area. However, my parents kind of took us all away and we grew up in Joondla. So I grew up with a lot of English. Yes. Um, and phenomenal. Uh, growing up within, I guess, this is actually interesting when going to that level, um, going from a Romani gypsy background, um, being surrounded with you know English, um, and there wasn't a lot of different cultures. Um, so, I guess what I picked up real quickly, um, coming from a strong Macedonian culture, was um, the Aussie slang, um, picking up on the English culture quite quick. And it's so funny you say that now. I can pick myself. I'll say, "Hey mate, how you going?" Like I make sure I say "mate" to make sure people understand that I've got an Australian background because I don't look like I was born and raised um, in Australia, but my accent definitely can say that I was from here. Um, and what it means to be Australian or W Western Australian for me, funny. I just spent the last two weeks in Melbourne, and a lot of people say like, "Oh, you're from you're from WA. Like you guys are really chilled out." Um, and I can say that's definitely part of, I guess, my nature is really chilled out, really quite relaxed. Um, and I don't know if this is a big WA thing, but the whole wait a while. So yes. it takes us a while to kind of catch up to the rest of the world. Um, so I can definitely say picking up from the Western culture here in WA is um, really chilled out. Mm. I don't know if that kind of gives you a... Safer. Something to work with. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So as, as we picked up from the introduction, there's a strong emphasis on um, working with youth. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? from within you yeah where's um, that focus yeah absolutely so definitely a personal story there for me um goes back to me being in year seven and uh mrs wood her name was deputy principal comes into the the school classroom and i'm sitting there doing my work and and she whispers to the teacher i need to speak to shane 
and uh, let me kind of pick up while he's that about me. Um, I don't know if everyone heard that on the mic. Um, and she pulls me out and said, look, mum's not going to come pick you up today. I guess this is the real story in the background how it all started. Um, mum's not going to be able to pick you up today. Mum picked us up from school every day. And um, coming from a strong Macedonian family, I thought maybe it was going to be an uncle or something like that. And um, that didn't happen. We, Me and my sister waiting at the front of the school. Uh, a lady by the name of Sarah came and picked us up. And she was a, a youth worker connected to the Department of Communities, um, which is similar to, I guess, child protection, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we hopped in this car, and and she was great with us. She had a big smile on her face and say, look, I'm picking up today. I'm a youth worker, and I've got permission from your pa- family. And we got taken to a local park um, and did cartwheel after cartwheel after cartwheel. And what felt like four and a half hours, I was like, what is going on? And... Um, we got taken back home and what had happened was, and I've got full permission to share this, my mum had attempted to take her own life and um, was dealing with some severe mental health issues. And I guess that's when I got introduced to the world of, you know, my mum's not okay, something going on. And got introduced to the world of mental health and the impacts on our family of that were quite significant. And um, we got referred to a local youth service run by the city of Joomla, a place called Anchors. And uh, I met my youth worker, who uh, supported me for a while. And um, I got put into a a hip-hop DJing program at the age of 14. And and that was pretty much it. I learned the basics of how to DJ and got, I guess going through a hip-hop program, um, that was an outlet for me Um, after school. That was a consequence of now interacting with the system. Exactly right. Um, And then... Yeah, I got to the point where from 14 to 16, I was attending this youth service program where youth workers always mentored me. in addition to school? Yeah, in addition to school. So from year seven, got put through the system. Sarah would pick us up every day after school from the ages of um, what was it, 11, 12 to 13 and would you know pick us up to support the family and then the family got support. And, and um, it was interesting getting supported by the system. The first time really talking about it like this as well. And... Um, then I had my youth worker at 14, from 14 to 16, he supported me. And um, over the two years of that program, I actually got really good at um, DJing, hip-hop music. And at 16, I went to go purchase my first um, uh, turntables. And the guy I purchased one ran a small little record label in Perth. And uh, at the age of 16, I was mixing in nightclubs. Um, making, uh, I was making $150 an hour as a 16-year-old. And um, my parents helped me, you know, um, sign the contracts. However, what the city of didn't teach me was what happens when to get into that industry. <laughs> and uh, you can imagine a 16-year-old uh, making, I don't want to say I'm making more money than my parents, so I was making a lot of money, uh, signed to a record label in year 11 and 12. You can imagine, you know, the world I got up to. And um, although that was really fun and really good, it kind of hit rock bottom then. And I used to get picked up from school um, on Fridays in a in a black Lamborghini and uh, get driven to a nightclub. Got to hang out with some pretty cool, powerful people that I thought at the time were cool. And um, got introduced to that whole world and got to the point where I hit rock bottom. And what was rock bottom? So three months of year 12. Uh, so three months left to graduate year 12. Pulled out. Um, got introduced to sex, drugs, rock and roll and all that sort of stuff. And... Uh, got a, a girl that was older than me pregnant and uh, I remember that phone call like hey um, I'm pregnant and I dropped out of school was uh, drinking a fair bit 
and uh, was up till three, four in the morning with uh, not so nice people. And uh, moved out of home, and that was it. I had no future, nothing. And I was like, man, what am I doing? And uh, I'll never forget, I was at the back of a nightclub in Northridge, picking up some DJ equipment for, you know, packing out for the night, it was three o'clock in the morning. And uh, I remember hearing a security guard threatening someone else. Well, I've never actually shared this with anyone before. Um, and he said, we're gonna fucking kill you. I was that couldn't see me, I was around the corner. And I was talking about, you know, we're gonna drown you in a bath. And I remember that as a 17 year old hearing that, I'm like, wait, what, what? How do I get out of this situation? And I remember sharing with my youth worker. Now, my youth worker back then still actually mentors me today. Right. Um, which is really cool. And I remember sharing the story with him. And he was like, man, you need to get out of that. Yeah. And um, and that was it. And he said, look, how about you help us run the hip-hop program and you teach other young people about your story and DJing and you can still teach them. And that's literally how it all started. I had no other job. I didn't finish my high school career. I didn't even have a TAFE diploma, nothing. <laughs> and um, and they took me on as a subcontractor. I was 17. And yeah, about 16, 17 age group. And he said, look, you need to get an ABN. I was like, okay, cool. And uh, he goes, you can um, hand your invoices to us. I don't even know how to write an invoice. And these youth workers helped me out and did all that. And then next thing you know, I'm, I've set up Insane Records, it was called at the time. And it was me just subcontracting back to the City Journal up, um, running hip-hop workshops. And that's how it all started. And then I remember, so funny talking about it now, getting present to like the journey for myself. I um, was teaching these kids how to you know, use the turntables and make music and beatbox and all that sort of thing. And, and uh, I remember saying back to the, the team, I was like, what the hell is wrong with these kids? I don't want to talk about their problems. I just want to teach them how to make music. And they said, well, maybe you should get into youth work. And mate, that's literally how I started. Two years later, I was running um, three programs within the city of uh, Wanneroo in the city of Drillup, running these hip-hop workshops. And then they offered me a casual youth worker role, and I went to study my Cert three in community services. And um, next thing you know, two years later, I'm, I'm managing um, three of the youth centres. By the time I'm 19, whatever how old I am. And, and uh, I was managing a, a centre in Hainsworth, um, Gerawine. Um, Banksia Grove and did that for about five years and um, it was really cool and I was working with young people case support um, and I guess you get paid to play pool and sit on a playstation all day however the conversations that I was having with young people was phenomenal we were actually talking about the stuff that we weren't talking about at home Um, you know having um, I remember doing a karaoke thing with a young kid and a young girl was so dealing with like the embarrassment of getting up and empowering her to go, hey, you can talk in the microphone in front of everyone and being silly with kids. And um, so I was like, man, I really enjoy this. And then um, got bored after five years of being on the PlayStation. I said, I want to take this to a level deeper and applied to work within the prison system. And um, I'll never forget that. It was 160 people that got applied and 30 of us got through and the, the process for that was, was massive. And then um, I was working with juveniles in detention. And... Um, by then I knew I wanted to be a counsellor, like having these conversations, and I did my study in counselling. And um, I'll never forget um, working night shift in the prison system as a juvenile officer. And when you're a night shift, you, you do a 12-hour shift, and you start at 8 o'clock at night, and 
finish at whatever, 8 o'clock in the morning, whatever it is. And you've got to do um, suicide checks because the young people are locked in their cell. And you've got to do the checks every 15 minutes. So from 12, 8 o'clock at night to 8 o'clock in the morning, every 15 minutes, you're checking 16 young people. And you get to the door and you, you put your foot up against the door just in case, it's like a security requirement. And you lift this latch and the latch is a little glass panel. And I'll never forget, I was like, please don't have anyone hanging in there. Please don't have a kid up against a wall or against the, like the face of the glass. And I always dealt with that anxiety for myself. Like, oh my God, I hope I don't see anything. Yeah. And uh, I did that for two years. And it got to the stuff I didn't drove myself crazy. Because you know, working with young people within that juveniles, I guess, um, I guess working within the prison walls, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens, you know, um, self-harm issues, conflict, um, it's not a nice place to be. And uh, lifting that latch on night shift for two years, I actually drove myself pretty crazy. Um, I got myself quite tense. And, uh, and like I you saw a lot of, you know, attempts and a lot of self-harm. Um, and I said, man, I really need to get out of this place. And I think I made a decision then that the system doesn't work. Why is that? Um, I would ha- see a young person get out and be released and then come back within four or five hours. I was like, there's something missing here. And that's when I discovered, like, man, we should, we need to create visions for people. And I remember wor- working with some young people about, you know, if you could get out of it, what would you want to do? And he's like, man, I'd love to be a landscaper. And talking about that, I said, why would you want to be a landscaper? And he goes, oh, I just love being in an area and a garden where I could do that. And one of the jobs in the prison system, you actually do gardening. Mm. And he goes, that's the only thing I'm good at. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Let's, let's talk about that. And I remember this young person getting out and uh, went to the front gate and I said, oh, I've got to go back. I forgot your medication. And uh, the parents who were picking him up said, can you fucking hurry up so I can get my kid a cone already? And I was like, wow, how, how is the system going to work with that? The system isn't working. We're dealing with like this kid just get out he's like I want to be a landscaper and then his parents or whoever it was family members like can you hurry up so we can get this kid some drugs already and um, even hearing about it like talking about it now like first I'm sharing this sort of stuff I was just like wow um, I need to make a difference here and um, so I went from local government to the prison system and then I left I got a phone call and and um, got asked like can you help us set up a, an alternative education school and I thought, yeah, I love that. And so I created vision work. And uh, the big part of the vision was, um, or the insane factor, which I'll talk a little bit later on, um, went into this school and we were working with some of the most highly at-risk kids in Western Australia. And these were young people that, you know, parents were in jail, um, you know, dealing with severe mental health issues um, and no real hope, if we can put that, you know. Mm. And so what I'll do is we'll literally get a, for those listening, like you know, and everyone knows what a vision board is, right? Um, your big house, big car. Some people put a sexy body and then slap the word happiness over it all. And I thought we really need to get behind why these visions are so important to young kids. And that's when it started. And we worked with um, this school. And I literally asked people, if you could have absolutely anything right now, what would be the most important thing to you? And I say, this is literally what I say to young people. I don't mind. I don't care. If you want to be the biggest gangster in the world or the most important successful entrepreneur ballerina in the world whatever it is that's the most important thing to you all you got to do is 
write it down, and then I promise we'll explain it all at the end. And when you give young people or any person that space to say whatever it is they want, um, some magical stories started happening. And one of them, um, I'll never forget this young kid, he goes, Shane, you know what? I really want to be a car salesman. And I was like, okay, car salesman, out of everything. I said, you could have absolutely anything. Why do you want to be a car salesman? And he said, man, I really just want to know what it's like to wear a suit. I was like, awesome, cool. So we wrote down the word suit. And we said, why is that so important? And he goes, I've never seen my parents dress nicely. And I was like, aha. Uh-huh. I was like, cool. And uh, within them two questions, I got what was really going on for this kid and who he really wanted to be. Now, I could sit there and do six months to eight months, 12 months therapy if I really wanted to with him. And I thought, there needs to be something different happening here. So that was the first part of the insane factor was envision. Different to therapy. Different to therapy. you learned from the counselling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That you picked up along your journey. That's right. So we found, that's the kid's vision. And I realized he's not listening to me. About, I don't know what it is takes to be a car salesman. So we came up with envision and the next stage was engage. And I thought, I'll call Toyota. So I rang up a few um, car dealerships and um, we rang up Toyota and I said, look, I've got this kid, he's dreams to be a car salesman and explain the story to why that's so important to him. And um, they said, sure, we would love to help. What do you need? And uh, I said, I need your car yard. Let us sit in the car and have a bit of a conversation and still do some therapy. Um, but then I want to um, walk around the car yard and... And I want to have a chat with one of your car salesmen. And he better be wearing a bloody suit. <laughs> and um, then it all started. And then we... Obviously, when you tell the young person, hey, look, Toyota wants to speak to you. Um, and I've got a car, ma- ma- um, a car salesman who's willing to have a chat. This kid's face lit up. He's like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. And we went from like me sitting with you doing therapy to like, hey, we're going to go out and meet a car salesman. And he's going to have a conversation with you. Something shifted for that kid. So we drive to Toyota and we get there. No, sorry, he got dropped off and I met him there. And uh, we're sitting in the car salesman's office. Now you can imagine, there's a car salesman sitting with his suit, big grin on his face. There was trophies in the background of Toyota's winning awards and whatever they had. And some of the vision work that you've got to prepare is the kid has some questions to ask. Like, what's it actually take to be a car salesman? Yeah. And the last question was, if you could so you help him with the questions. Yeah, so we help him with the questions and we create all that to make <laughs> his vision come alive. And... and Questions that he needs answered for himself. Hmm. And he asks this one question. He goes, um, you know, if you could offer me one bit of advice, what would it be? And the car salesman said this one thing. He goes, mate, for me to make money, I've got to learn how to get along with people. That's all he said. And the kid looks at me and he just smiles. And he turns to me and goes, Shane, how how do I get along with people? And I went, what the hell? Are you serious? Like, we've been telling you this for the last six or 12 months. Your teacher's been telling you. I've been telling you. Parents telling you. And um, it's interesting because you've used the word tell, tell, tell in there. Isn't that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And um, the real thing about the word tell. Oh, okay. Great. I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> Go on. And, um, and I thought to myself, why did he listen to the car salesman? And that's when Insane's vision work really started developing. And I thought, wow, we need to create... We created the Batman analogy. Now, um, I've just finished writing a, a, a co-author for a book called Powerful Conversations and I shared about how do we have powerful conversations with people. And uh, we use the analogy, I guess the Batman analogy. I've got a 11-year-old stepdaughter 
Now I know, obviously I know you, you've got kids as well. Yeah, Corinne. 11 year old daughter. Okay, 11 year old. Now, um, you obviously have to tell her to clean her room sometimes. Absolutely. Now I know when I tell my stepdaughter to clean her room, I'm like, Bella, you need to clean your room. And Bella's a gorgeous girl, phenomenal young child. And within five minutes, 10 minutes, the conversation goes from, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'll come back and then there's like some clothes moved to one side. Um, the blanket's not straight. Yeah, it's all over the place. She's tried. And I'm like, Bella, you need to clean your room properly, sweetheart. She's like, yeah, I did clean my room properly, blah, blah, blah. Within half an hour, we're having an argument about how I'm not her real father. How, <laughs> you know, you don't understand me. You don't listen to me. And I'm like, what the hell? I just asked her to clean your room. And what I found was if her version of her Batman came in and said, sweetheart, you need to clean your room, the conversation would have gone differently. Whether it got done or not, I don't know. But the conversation would have gone different. And I thought, wow, that's what we need to do with young people. And that's when it all started. And uh, we've got, I've got hundreds of stories that I can share. Um, and we created the visions and then we looked at the engagement. And the cool thing is Toyota actually offered this kid a position and said, whenever you need anything, you can come back and you can have a role. And as a result it. of that. Day. As a result of that conversation. Um, and then if we continued to work with that kid, I would have loved to put a suit on and go to the shoot shop, shoots, um, the suit shop and put a suit on and walk around about what it takes and... That was it. And then the um, a local, the Department of Education heard about my work and saw some of my work and I got asked to go into a school and then we started doing that with the school and having kids' visions come out and then we worked with the teachers about how can we embed the curriculum into this kid's vision and then went from there into state government to head of Department of Education and running the insane factor there and then it went into statewide services and two years later, like, we, we're running it everywhere and, and then... Um, Where's everywhere? So with, within state, statewide services, we were working with some of the most highly at-risk kids yep. who were disengaged from school. And, and we had one young person, her dream was to be a professional basketball player. And there I am with a call with Perth Wildcats saying, what can you guys make to have this kid's vision come alive? And there's hundreds of stories like that. And, and then statewide services said, look, can you, um, can you train all our staff in what you do? And um, I said, no. <laughs> No. Yeah, I said, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and I said, I want to go out and set up a social enterprise and um, keep the integrity of the work. And um, that's when I started. Now I'm subcontracting back to these government departments and we've set up a social enterprise um, that has partnerships from organisations that are going to help young people create their visions. So when you say social enterprise, what do you mean by that? Yeah, great. So a social enterprise is um, an organisation that sets up that's created not to make money, but to actually make a difference. Um, yeah. And that's why we set it up as, and um, and that's, a, I guess, the real meaning of a social enterprise is to mm-hmm. create that um, business and have the money that gets generated from that back into young people. And um, that's what we've created. So how is the insane factor delivered now? Yeah, great. So what we do is we support um, local non-profits, um, government organisations who are at that point where we we just don't know what to do with this young person. Yeah. Um, so and do you have like trained insane people? <laughs> yeah, we're actually going through that process now. Sounds stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're saying, saying that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. Well, the whole point of that was with young people who are dealing with the word, oh, I'm I'm dealing with mental health or I'm dealing with these issues or I'm not succeeding in school. The whole point is, yeah. let's get insane. Yeah. It, let's go to Turtle and ask for an opportunity for a role. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's what we did. We work privately now as well, where parents will call and say, look, we've tried every avenue. Um, we can connect, what can you come up with? And we'll literally pull out an iPad Pro and ask young people, if you could have absolutely anything, what would it be? And then come up with something custom 
um, to best suit that young person. Um, yeah. Awesome. Which is really cool. Where did you get... Where did you get the idea to say no from? Mm. Did, was that an easy decision to make? No, or? it wasn't. No, not at all. Well, I think going from a young person who never wanted to be a youth worker or a counsellor to working his way up to state government level with a company car, we had a government credit card, um, I had a permanent role within the government organisation. Mm. And to get a permanency role, is like it's not an easy thing to do. And um, I had to give all that up. Mm. When I sat down with um, my two managers, I said, look, uh, I really love it here. I love what you guys do. I love the, mm. all the support you've given me. It's amazing. And here I am telling young people to go follow their vision when um, I'm not really following mine. Mm. And um, What was your vision? Well, my vision was to have Insane be recognized nationally. Right. And um, running Insane vision sessions um, you know, across Australia. And I said, I want to have this opportunity to face some of my barriers. And um, I said, I'm going to give up my role and here's my resignation. And I'm still committed to supporting the organization to whatever it is that you guys need. However, I want to do it through my own company. I want, the, I want to be able to set up my own structures and operate insane um, on an insane level. Mm. And they were just like, we'll support you with whatever you need, Shane. And I was like, wow. And we got to do some work with them. And and um, it was a big thing. I still remember walking out of the building going, wow. I just, I rang up my other manager and said, look, I'm giving up my permanency. And I remember the conversation like, are you sure, Shane? Is this really a good idea? And um, I said, no, it's, this is probably one of the most stupidest things I've ever done. And I remember ringing my mum telling her, hey, look, I'm going to give up my permanent job and I'm going to go out and start my own agency. And... Um, and my parents were like, you shouldn't be doing that. My grandfather was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, with the accent. Yeah, with the accent. And um, I said, I've got to give it a go. And I failed. I failed miserably. It's been a year and a half now on my own. Um, we nearly lost my, I nearly lost my house eight months ago, um, trying to set you know, business up. What I didn't think about when I left um, was what was going to be impact on my own mental health, what was going to be impact on my family. I'm great with young people. Give me a young person who's dealing with some severe issues. I'm the best at that. Um, what I didn't learn or what I didn't understand is how to set up a business. Yeah. And um, that impacted me big time. Um, I was sitting with, I was sitting in bed actually and I've been ignoring the bank's phone calls. And uh, I did that for about eight months and that didn't work when their final letter came and said, you got 14 days to get in communication otherwise we're starting legal proceedings. And... Um, I hid that from my family. Oh. Uh, I hid that from, you know, Samantha. Your partner. My, my partner. And I remember telling her, I was like, hey, um, so funny when you're so committed to something, what you're willing to... I don't want to say the words give up or what you're willing to fight through. And, um, and obviously I had to get to the point where I had to tell Samantha, like, hey, look, uh, this is the position I put us in. And... Uh, I remember waking up in the morning hearing Samantha cry in the kitchen and I heard her say, it shouldn't be this fucking hard to make a sandwich because that put so much stress on us now financially. And um, I got up and she got to the point where I heard her say that and I walked in the kitchen and I saw her like, 
you know when you frustratingly stamp your foot mm. and she was stamping her foot crying cutting a sandwich because she was the only one working and um and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, this is all my fault. And I just broke down crying. And um, I said, I'm trying to start this agency and make a difference with young people. And um, I'm forgetting about my own family and what, what we're up to. And even though that was the most scariest part of my life, and I'll share a little bit why, why it's so scary, um, I just started to cry. I actually couldn't stop crying because I felt like I've just failed. Like I've given up my permanent role. I've... Um, I take it contracts didn't flood in contracts didn't flood in straight away I was like man I'm the best youth worker this is going to be awesome everyone's seen my work and didn't go that way um, and we had 14 days to come up with a large sum of money and this is where the big thing was for me was to ask for help that's all that was missing right and it was so funny like I work with kids who are at the brink of like I don't want to be alive anymore and we need someone like Toyota to help them. And here I am trying to fulfill my vision and I'm like not asking for help from anyone. And I said to Sam, I said, um, I feel like this is all my fault. I'm so sorry. And I hugged her and we're both crying. And then Bella hears, she heard me crying, which I don't really normally cry. And then she comes out and she can hear us crying. And I just said, I'm so sorry. I'm like, we're about to lose our house. And one of the things about, it's so funny, I remember one of my friends is Shane, you sure you want to give up your permanency? And I said, I'm willing to lose my house over it. Careful what you say. Careful what you say, you might just get it. <laughs> and uh, there we are as a family, crying, holding each other. And I just got, I was like, I need to ask for help. And um, Mark Godfrey is a good friend of mine. He's, uh, he was actually one of my youth workers when I was 14. Um, who got me involved in a youth program and a camp. And um, it's so funny when you connect with people from your past that helped you and you give them a call and uh, I was driving in the car and Mark Godfrey's an awesome guy and he goes Shano how you going man what's happening got a lot of energy and I said no I'm, I'm really good man it was, this is the day that you know I was crying in the morning and he goes oh what's happening man you sound really upset it's not like you and I said oh, no I'm good I'm good and I realised at that moment I had to ask for help and he goes, oh, I've just got Belle in the car, which is his wife. And he said, what's happening? And I froze while I'm driving. And I said, Mark, um, we've got no food to eat. And when I said that, I just felt so embarrassed. Yeah. And from, a, I guess, for the men listening, like, I did not feel like a man at all. Yeah, the like provider. The provider, the hunter-gatherer, yeah. you know what I mean? And I said, mate, we've got, we've got no food to eat. And I started crying. And I'm like, where's all this vulnerability? I'm crying everywhere now. <laughs> Floodgates are open. Floodgates are open. And he goes, what do you need? And I said, um, you know, need your help. And he goes, man, we've got your back, whatever you need. Um, give me a couple of hours, I'll sort out some food. And I'll give you a call back. And I remember he hung up the phone. And I just felt weak. Like a really weak man. And I had a smile on my face. And I realized, wow, people love me. Yeah. Like that, I got love, you know? I was like, really, people actually love me. And he called me back and he goes, hey, look, I um, spoke to some local um, church organizations that, you know, he was a pastor, obviously had connections in that world. And, and uh, he said, look, we have some food, you can come pick it up from us tomorrow night. 
I'm still haven't told my parents about what's going on. You know, if I told my parents what's going on, even if they heard this, they probably still don't really get, you know, they know about it all by hearing the story. And uh, I drove to his house and I had Bella in the car and um, Bella hasn't even heard this. She had no idea what position we were in. And um, there was this box and there was frozen burgers in there and we're all about eating healthy and that sort of stuff. And and there was some bread and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden I had the biggest smile on my face and I'm like, I am coming home with food. Yes. And I felt like, you know, the whole hunter-gatherer thing and... Um, I text Samantha saying, look, I'll have some food when we get home. And I remember like Bella going, wow, is that a frozen burger? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, cool. Can I try it? And even though I was so embarrassed about like where we were financially and eating, um, I was like, Bella was so excited. And I went back into this, wow, like I can really do this. And um, we provide all the food and fill up the kitchen. And, and then that's where I got, like I can ask for help. And I told one of my friends, I said, look, we're financially struggling. He goes, you know, you can access your super. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, you can call for your super and ask for help. And we had three days left. And I was like, okay, wow. And I rang up some of my friends and said, look, the truth is I've been pretending that, you know, I've got all this money and I'm doing well, you know, setting up this entrepreneur business and social enterprise and I'm helping kids. And I'm like this really awesome guy that's preventing suicide. I'm making a journey. Oh, yeah. And the truth is, mate, I've got no food to eat. I'm about to lose my house. And people were like, bro, why don't you tell us? I was like, oh, I didn't want anyone to think I was a weak guy. And it's just so funny. Here I am People supporting... get annoyed with you when they say that, don't yeah. they? Yeah, 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 they do. I've um, been annoyed with friends when you find out. You're like, dude, why didn't you tell me? Isn't that funny? Um, I just so... Even think about it now. Like, here I am supporting young kids who are at their weakest and I'm pretending to be, like, the strongest. And um, I really disguised myself as a new... new human being, a new person. That it's okay to be vulnerable. Mate, we had, uh, we had a, a day left and the superannuation did all the paperwork and um, they couldn't release the funds because they forgot to scan my driver's license. And I rang them up and said, look, the truth is this is what I'm dealing with. I'm really scared. Uh, and I discovered this whole vulnerable side of myself. And I said, I need you guys to release the funds now. And they said, well, we can't do that. And I said, well, what do we need to do to make that happen? And four hours left. And I rose, drove to the city, rushed there, rang my bank, said, so this is what's happening. And um, it was so funny, when you're vulnerable, you actually share with people what's going on. You said people get frustrated, because I wasn't sharing at all. I was ignoring the banks. Yeah. And they released the funds, and we saved their house. And then the next day, I got an opportunity for some work. Oh. And I was like, that was it. And it started happening. And funny, funny all that, we, um, I'm not saying I'm making millions or anything like that, but... Um, We've now partnered with a local non-for-profit and we're applying for a $5 million government grant. And we've gone from one guy um, about to lose his house um, to still staying committed to young people and now applying for a $5 million government grant and we're going to have to hire 15 staff members and we're going to be supporting young people through the insane factor in the whole Mandrapil region. And um, that's been my journey. Within a space of a year and a half, coming from nothing to someone and now we're going to create visions for young people engage other businesses and measure all the actions um that's it i've gone through my own insane journey as well from creating my vision asking people for help Mm. and now we've discovered what works for me is when i'm vulnerable that's it it's interesting um one of the things i like i like delving into is some of the programs that people were running in their head so obviously you had a program there that you you know you have to be strong you have to be providing yeah Yeah. where's that come from 
Um, so obviously a program that wasn't helping. Helps in some areas, doesn't in others. In yeah, when you say program, you mean like the programming in our head. Beli- yeah, yeah, set, set of, of beliefs or whatever. Um, wow. I remember, I guess, yeah, okay, this is really good. What you brought up for me is I remember coming home and um, this is actually really good, man. Walking through the hallway, mum opening the door and seeing mum crying. And she just looked at me and she goes, I love you, Shane, goodbye. And she'd fallen back and took too many pills, whatever she took. And I realized at that moment um, that I thought my mom was going to die. This is actually really interesting talking about it now. And I remember screaming at the dad. I'm like, dad, mum's like passed out. She's going to die. And uh, that's what my childhood was like. And um, I made a decision that day that I was never, ever going to be a weak man. And I tried to wake up my mom. And I said to my dad, my dad, because obviously dad dealing with mum a lot dealing with mental health issues going oh here we go again yeah and fatigue, but yeah he was just like oh and I saw him react like that and I made like I was like you know, I'm never going to be a weak man like that. I'm going to be strong I'm going to be a provider and I'm never going to let anyone's family or kids go through this process right and I reckon that just shaped my whole there you go. belief system hearing about that and I'm yeah I was like I'm never going to be weak so I realised I had to be strong to make sure that I could be, provide a space for People who are dealing with whatever issue they're dealing with. Hmm. And I realized that that's probably when I locked myself in a jar. Yeah, well, yeah, in that one. In that one moment. Like, lock myself in a space where, yeah, you can't be vulnerable, you can't be weak. Um, because people won't help you. So yeah. they just get it now. My dad was like, oh, here we go again. When really, my mum was in a you know, bad position. Um, so there you go, man. That's probably where the programming and the belief came go. in from. Yeah. That's part of um, so if we go back to the actual people that you that you, you help the, yep. the youth yep. what are some of the obviously you work with at risk kids what are some of the um, patterns and things you see there? yeah yeah. big one I see um, so one of the big things about insane vision work is we. I know it sounds vision work but we actually look yeah. at what are the barriers for young people so um, we ask young people what are some of the things that you know you don't want to happen what are some of the things that you don't want to see what are some of the things that you don't want to hear um, and a big thing that comes out was family breakdown. Um, that's a big sort of area that we're always working around with family breakdown with young people. Um, self-esteem. Like One of the insane vision questions is, I want you to imagine there's a conversation about yourself. And in the conversation, there's people talking about you. And say if it was you, Bryn, um, I would like, I want you to imagine there's your kids talking about you, your family, friends. I don't know, the people who listen to your podcast. And the conversation started with, man, I met this guy named Bryn the other day and I really noticed this about him. What would you love to hear people say? So if I asked you, what would you love to have people say about your podcast or you? You know, Brynn is so this. Oh, and there's someone in the conversation who doesn't like you. <laughs> what would you love to hear them say? Oh, I don't know. Um, Brynn's podcast or Brynn is um, interested in people and curious hmm. about life. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's, he's interesting in people. Like he really brings out he's um, curious about life. Yeah. Now, and I'll, I'll bring this back to the answer to your question as well in a minute. Out of everything that could have said, why is that so important? Why is it so important to Bryn? Why is it so important to you? Um, just to me personally, learning is the most important thing. Okay. Learning and expanding. Wow. Okay. So learning and expanding is something that's really important to you. Yeah. 
our what does learning and expanding provide to you and to the world why is that so important if everyone did learn more and expand more what would that make available I think we could I, I personally mm. um, means I can navigate life better wow okay so we get the importance of it right yes that for you navigating life is so important yeah. um, and we really delved into just from a conversation what do you want people to say about you yes and you really want people to understand that navigating through life is really important it makes sense right yeah now if we flip the question and we said alright we want you to I want you to think about what are some of the things that you don't want people to say about you what are some of the things that you don't want people to say about the podcast what would, what would it be um I'm just saying I don't want to say about me. Um, I guess do, do, it's tricky, actually. Yeah, it is. Because um, there's a part of me that's just shut down. Um, uh, I'm really interested in what people think about the podcast. And I got to a point of saying, no, I'm not. Because it's if you don't like it, move on and do something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, go find another one. Um but what would I not want to say? Um, I don't know that it's, it's slow, it's boring, it's indulgent. Wow, okay. So we get this is slow. Oh, it's too long. I get a lot of that. Aha, uh-huh, it's, too, it's long. too long. All right, great. And you really don't want people to say that about you or the podcast. They, they do, but yeah. No, I get that, yeah. right? Um, and I know you probably got your evidence to you know, oh, yeah. telling you that and this is slow and this is boring um, and there's a big difference between well if you don't like it go listen to someone mm. or wow thank you yeah thank you for like, letting me know that yeah. and that's kind of like a cap and bringing it back to your original question like what are some of the things that you deal with with young people when you ask people that question like what is it that you don't want people to say about you people really like like how you just react to them it's like well that's like that's quite a deep question mm. Um, and a lot of the young people say, look, I don't want people to think I'm a loser. Yeah, I don't want people to think that this podcast is slow and boring. Mm. And they can't be with that. And when you give that space for young people, they share some pretty amazing stuff. You know, um, I don't want the teacher to think that, you know, I come from a, a crazy family. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really don't want people to think that, you know, um, I'm not good enough. Hmm. And when you start having these conversations, look, the truth, the truth about my work has got nothing to do with vision at all. It really isn't. It's a doorway in. Yeah. It's about what's behind that vision and what are the barriers that are stopping you from making that vision come alive. Um, so for you, if we did work together, you would really look at, you know, that barrier for you is like, I want to make sure that I'm not slow and boring or, yeah. you know, all of that. And the way of dealing with it is like, well, if you don't like it, go listen to someone else instead of actually dealing with, okay, cool. Yeah. Am I being slow and boring? Yeah. Um, and that's where the real magic of my work is. Mm. So that young person, he was like, man, I'm not good enough to walk into Toyota. You know? Um, and you work through that, like, why are you not good enough to walk into a car dealership? So funny, I've got my own personal journey with, you know, walking into a car dealership, which I'll probably share. Um, but one of the biggest things is, um, you know, I don't want to tell mum that I'm thinking about this boy because my mum's going to think I'm there's something wrong with me. It's one of the interesting things is being able to sit in a room with a young person. It brings me back to, wow, what did I hide from my parents that I didn't tell them? Mm. You know, what, do I, what am I hiding from my family and friends that I'm not really sharing? And, and being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. Which is know? a word you brought up earlier Absolutely. 
and um, I guess that's where the real magic happens. And look, I work with schools when they say, Shane, look, we, we don't want this kid here anymore. We just can't manage his behaviour. He's got 30 kids. He's throwing things at other kids. Um, with this one young person, just to give you more, I really want to answer that question for you, and I hope I have. Like, you know, what is it that we really deal with with young people? This one young person, the guy say, if you could have absolutely anything, what would I want? And he goes, man, I want to know how to bake a cake. I was like, are you serious? Like, I love that first question. Like I say, what's the most important thing to you? And he goes, I want to know how to bake a cake. I was like, all right, why is that so important? Baking a cake. And he goes, I know if I could bake a cake and we're all together with my family, that's when my family's all smiling at the same time. And I was like, wow, it's got nothing to do with cake at all. Mm. But we play with that. And I said, all right, cool. Well, if you could learn to bake a cake, well, you know, what would you do? He's like, I'll bring it home to my family and get us all together. Now you can see a 15-year-old. Yeah. We think as 15-year-olds, they just want to you know, run a mark, but they're not. There's something behind there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so we partnered with a business called Cupcake Mafia, which is uh, <clears throat> my fiance's business. We just needed to find a baker. And um, she came into school and we got permission and she um, taught this young person how to bake a cake. And I thought, wow, this is going to be you know, simple or easy or whatever. How, how, what's it really going to provide this kid to bake a cake? Is it really going to make a difference? And I tell you what, mate, the, the basic ingredients where she was teaching him how to make a cake and they were having these conversations and it was, the school got us, like, gave us permission to do that and we used the hospitality training part of the school. His face, when he finished that cake... And it was like a, um, a themed cake and they went over the top. It wasn't... Oh, someone different. who was about to be thrown out of school. Yeah. Um, we're struggling to sit in the classroom. Yeah. And um, he had this biggest grin on his face and we took a photo of him and the cake. And I said, what do you, like, what do you, what do you get out of baking this cake? And he's like, oh, I just can't wait to bring it home to my family and we're going to eat it together. That's all he wanted to do. Now, the awesome thing about this is when we worked with the school, um, the school um, vet coordinator... Um, he said, look, how about we let him take part in the school's coffee program where he can do a barista course? Because he goes, I would love to one day bake cakes for people and make other people smile mm. and do coffee and cake. I was like, awesome. So we got spoke to the school. Um, this is year eight kid. The hospitality program was only for year 11s and 12s. And we said, how about you come in in the mornings and we'll let you do the barista course, learn how to make coffee, and then you can maybe bake some cakes and sell them at the school. We've gone from a young person who was dealing with you know, a whole bunch of issues to, I want to bake a cake. We engaged the cake baker. The actions were he took the cake home to his family and now the school's helping him do one part of his Cert 3 in hospitality in barista course making. Now, I'm not saying that this young person was dealing with mental health issues, but he wasn't in a good space. Yeah. And now we've made it an opportunity. Could have easily been diagnosed as having mental health Big time. issues. Not too far down the distance. Easy. ADHD. ADHD, behaviour issues. Medicating. Medicate, all that sort of stuff. And I don't <clears> want to make sure that I'm pushing that to the side because it's no. still important. Um, this is just a different way of looking at things. And we've just called it vision work instead of vision therapy or therapeutic care or anything. It's just, we want to make a cake. We've brought someone in to make that happen. And now he's can do that for his family and provide smiles mm. and we when we looked at the actions when we measured the actions that kid would get up in the morning come do the brister course he went to four out of five classes um, and that was it 
And did that have an effect on the rest of his work at school? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And, um, you know, still dealt with behaviour issues and that sort of thing. But we, what we created for this young person was um, from, you know, I don't want to be alive anymore to, wow, I've actually got an opportunity to do something. And that was it. That's all I do. It's actually not, it's like not a big thing I do. I ask for vision, find someone that's, they're going to listen to, find their Batman, and um, make it work. Do you deal with kids that are not unruly, abused, or in situations? Because sometimes I find with, with, with the podcast and some of the people that I've met, mm. you know, you've listened to fantastic experiences from people who've really hit rock bottom. They've had drug addictions, they've had yeah. drink addictions, they've mm. um, uh, really been things have been made very black and white to them by the, by the consequence of their actions. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of people who go through life who it, it never really gets... That bad? That, that bad. And they play by life scripts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they just, you know, tinkle along, tinkle along, tinkle along. And then at some point later on down the track, things happen. And I, I am my... I've been very transparent about my uh, midlife correction and mm-hmm. drama. I've mm-hmm. described myself as the poster boy for a cliché midlife crisis yep. running away with a younger woman etc um, so yeah so that's why I'm particularly interested in I think it's awesome what you do with those that draw attention to themselves yep. in, in that way yep. through whatever brackets at risk at yep. risk yep. but then you know what percentage of kids are they like 10-20% mm. so what happens to the other 80 it's actually really funny I, um, I've worked with now with young people who are at the brink of um being the most at risk yeah. from you know kids coming out of detention child protection kids to homelessness to the complete other side of the spectrum yeah. and I found it's all the same there's actually not at risk yeah. there's actually just young people yes. and that's really really great you brought that up um, because there's a danger with listening to you that you're actually giving what is really needed to the squeaky wheels mm. what do you mean right. by there's a danger I don't get it well not a danger um, or there's yeah it's probably poor choice of words but there's um, there's a chance that you, you know, only work with young people at risk yes conversation or, yep. or, or get themselves close to being excluded uh-huh. and, then, and then they get this then they get then they have this amazing cake making experience and da 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 yeah yeah so then you you know what about the other side yeah yeah perfect I can add to that 100% it's so funny you say that because um, I always talk about you know because that's something I'm really passionate about, is working with the young people that um They've got no other options left. Mm. However, complete other side of the spectrum. I've worked with um, families and parents who are very, very, very well off, living in some awesome areas, and uh, we do a vision session. And the young person's, I really just want to be an actor. And they're in the best schools in WA. I'll share one story. Uh, Working with one young person really um, at a really well driven school and I found the issues are still all the same there's no difference mm. there's still family breakdown there's still drug and alcohol issues the drugs are probably just better I don't know right um, <laughs> the booze is of high quality yeah there's that yeah there, well there's no there's actually no difference yeah um, so perfect example we had uh, one young person um, that well off um, parents make a lot a lot of money and so if you have anything what would it be and he goes man I just want to um, uh, be on my computer and um, do gaming reviews 
like on YouTube, like review games. And I said, well, how do you know computers are your thing? And he goes, well, I failed my pen license. I said, what do you mean pen license? And he goes, I don't know if you remember when, when you're in primary school, uh, for those who are listening, you remember like there was a part where you had to pass your pencil license oh, right. to move to pen. <laughs> it was like a, like a, a you know, primary school thing to, I don't know what's the point of it, but whatever. And um, he goes, I know I'm really, I, I didn't pass my pen license and I know computer something I was really good at. And long story short, the parents put him in a private school to do really, really well. And, and it just wasn't happening. Computers were his things, not the writing and the English and the math. Just kept on failing that. But the parent thought it would be awesome just to put him in a higher performing school to perform better. Like they could afford that. They could do all that. There was no real other issues. Um, and what we've had to work with the parents is when we share the kids' vision, I had to work with a lot of these computers and gaming is really important. So we partnered with a, a, an organization called Flat Test Gaming. And Flat Test Gaming um, do gaming reviews and that sort of thing. It's really awesome stuff. And they allow they're allowing this young person to say, look, how about you come on board to do an actual YouTube gaming review with us? Yeah. And I just speak to the mom, like, look, we're going to pull him out of private school and go to TAFE. And there was a concern there. I was like, hold on a second, we, we're paying all this money for this high education schooling. Um, and we're going to put my child in tow. I'm like, yeah, we are. And now we're taking that action. And the awesome thing is we've, we've um, got Department of Defense on board to support this young person because he loves technology and gaming and anything to do with that. And they're going to allow him to come into the barracks and look at the Department of Defense drone technology. Now we've gone from this young person who was dealing with, man, I don't want to go to school, I'm not doing well, I'm failing, to, well, let's do a Cert 3 in TAFE. Complete your computer technology Cert, whatever it is. Um, Department of Defense want to speak to you about offering you an opportunity to come in and see drone technology and how they, I don't even know if I'm legally allowed to speak about it, what <laughs> Department of Defense we're up to. Um, and looking at that, to going to TAFE and then having flat test gaming support him and do a YouTube gaming review. The young person's completely shifted, not highly at risk, nothing. It was just a young person who had no vision and direction where he was going. Hmm. So that's no real significant abuse issues to beautiful family. Yeah. Um, just a new pathway and direction. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. I like it. I like it. And with the... I was, a, I was a kid who I, I had no bloody idea what I wanted to do. Hmm. You know, I, went to a, I went to a boarding school and uh, it was wow. just like, do what was required, work within the system, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of got spat out of the back. Do you, do you find with the kids and the youth that um, they have to revision, re- revisit their vision periodically? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's kind of, I always struggled with someone said, oh, so what do you want to do? when you were young I haven't got a clue and and if I look back on my journey at the age of 43 it's opened up and opened up and opened up and opened Mm, up mm, mm. so where is the balance between helping them to vision their future and also allowing it to unfold as well Mm. does that make sense yeah Um, yesterday I did a vision session with um, 50 students from UWI through Bloom and this one young person we start the vision session it's like if you need any question you say what do you want to do it's such a closed question yeah um, and if we look at if you could do something or anything what would it be now sometimes we can look at 
Um, when I have a young person says, and look, we've started working with adults now as well because we found that, you know, yeah. adults are still lacking vision too. That's the question that was coming to Okay, you. great. We'll go into that in a minute. Um, and sometimes I can go into, all right, let's look at what is something that you definitely don't want to do. Yeah. And when you ask that, it's all in the questioning that you allow people to talk. And one of the awesome things is when someone says, look, I don't know. I was like, that's perfect. That's amazing. And they look at me weird, like, what do you mean? How is that perfect? And I said, being in the world of I don't know is actually the best place to be when you don't know something. Have you ever spoken to anyone who knows everything? Who has got the answer for everything? Mm. What's it like talking to that person, Brittany, if I was to ask you? Have you ever Pretty spoken? Pretty unbearable. Yeah, it's yeah. annoying. Yeah. Especially so I've, got, I've got an uncle who does know everything, right? Yeah. It's annoying speaking to them. And it's lid. It's a, it's a lid for your performance. Because if you know everything, then you're not going to grow anywhere. And I share this with young people. So if you're in the world of I don't know, it's actually the best place to be because we can create anything. Do you want to be a toilet cleaner? And they're like, hell no. I'm like, okay, at least we know what you definitely don't want to do. And it just starts a conversation like that. And it's all it is, it's just a young person testing you or a person testing you like, well, can you really identify what it is that I really want to do? Mm. There's three key, key main elements to um, when we're looking at hiring people on our team. There's three questions that a young person is really looking for in the conversation. So one of the first elements is, if I'm going to speak to you, do you have any idea what I've been through? And there's got to be anyone who works for Insane or partners with Insane or has anything to do with Insane, you've got to be, answer, you've got to be able to answer these three key main elements. So the young person's going to test you first. Like, do you, have, do you really know what I'm up to? Do you know what I'm really dealing with? And then you've got to be able to look for yourself. Like, yeah, I can really understand where this young person's going through. And you can share your own personal experience. Yeah, I've been through the system before. Or yeah, I, I know what it's like if, if there's parents listening. The kid wants to know, do you really understand what they're dealing with? And you can say, yeah, I, when I was a kid, my parents used to tell me this and I didn't really understand. Or So they test that first part. Whether you can tick that box or not is up to you. So if you can tick that box and say, look, I really do understand what you've been through. I've had a similar journey myself. Okay, so you tick that box and then there's another box. Okay, so you understand what I've gone through. Just because you've been through what I've been through doesn't mean you can even help me. Have you even supported anyone like me before? And then you can share, look, look, I've been through your experience and I've actually helped kids like you before. And these are some of the stories that I've helped other young people with. And it gives them the sense of, wow, I'm really not alone here. Hmm. So we've ticked two boxes now. You've understood where I've been through and you've helped someone with me. Okay, cool. Just because you've helped kids like me before, are you actually any good? <laughs> and then you tick that professional box. Because there's a lot of youth workers who are professionals or whatever, any field. Oh, yeah, I've been in that area before. Cool, I understand. I've helped people like you before. But have you actually got any personal and professional experience? Are you actually really, are you effective? And the young person will take that box as well. And say, yeah, I've, I've worked for this person. I've done this amount of work. And these are some of the connections we've built. Once you tick them three boxes, now you can actually make a difference with that kid and they're going to share something with you that they've never shared with anyone else before. Um, so yeah, three things. Mm. Have you ever been there before? Have you worked with anyone like me? Are you even a professional in this field? And I think if you bring that to the element of parenting, like, yeah. You know, that's one of the questions I was going, going to ask you actually. Yeah. There'll be a lot of um, the listeners here a lot of them will be parents, parents yeah, so what right. can they take from this yeah absolutely well, I think looking at them three things sharing with your kids 
Like, you've been there before. Mm. We forget that as parents. Even me, like, when I, my stepdaughter um, will say something, I'm like, no, we're not allowed to do that. You have to go to school. And I'm like, hold on a second. I didn't even grow- I was in a nightclub at 16. <laughs> You know, and I'm not sharing that with her. Yeah. When I share with Bella, like I'm like, hey, do you know what truth? I actually didn't graduate school either. I didn't go to school. I, didn't, I hated school. And she's like, really? And we drum into her like, you need to go to school. And we've changed the whole concept now. Bella's actually getting homeschooled. Mm. And we're working on her vision. And I can share with how we're making that happen for her. And she's like, wow, you really understand what I'm going through. It's changed the conversation with my kid. And then she'll be like, all right, just because you've been like that before... Like, have you ever supported anyone like me before? And I can say, no, I haven't. You're the only stepdaughter I've ever had. I don't know what it's like to have other children. I really don't. <coughs> and you're being vulnerable. You're being authentic with your kids. Mm. I've never had a stepdaughter before, Bella. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm probably screwing it all up. So I've never actually worked before, and I probably can't tick that last box for you. And it, it creates a space where they have a honest conversation with my stepdaughter. Because mm. we forget what it was like for us. Yes. So if we can actually have them conversations with our kids and be honest um, and see if you can get to the point where you tick them three boxes. For those of you who got three, four children, you can say, hey, look, yeah, I've been there before and this is how I stuffed up with the first child. Yeah. Or this is how I did really well with the first child. And then share that with your children and then give them the space to share with you. Mm. So there you go. It's in- yeah. It is very interesting. It's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. I found myself recently, just as a complete aside, because um, I ended up going to a boys boarding school and my daughter has no idea about what it's like because she's curious so sometimes we role play it oh wow S- some of the stuff that used to go on cool so then she gets called by her surname I'm referred to as sir <laughs> um, so is that she, how you guys have to communicate yeah and if she was mucking around if she's mucking around during breakfast it's like right silence Edwards until you've finished eating she's like my god dad did you actually have to live like that and it's like yeah, oh, that's phenomenal that you've created that with her. Yeah, she doesn't like it. No, 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 I get that, but she can see. Well, what does she say about it? When you say she doesn't like it, what does she get for she's herself? Like, Dad, I don't like this. Was this what it was like? Yeah, and you didn't, and you didn't see you know, separated from her mum, but um, so, mm-hmm. so you, you didn't see your parents at the end of the day. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. At the weekend or oh, weeks at a time. Oh dear. So, hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Well, there's um. I've got to share my, my fruit bowl theory with you. Yes. Um, so there's talking about behavior and types of characteristics and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a story with my, my dad's father, my grandfather. So you can imagine when I was 16, 17, uh, in a nightclub, I had a lot, a lot of friends. I was a really, really popular kid. And um, I used to bring friends home. I needed to come home late. And uh, my grandfather sat me down and he goes, look, I want you to look at um, getting rid of some of your friends. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, look, he sat me down and there's my grandfather uh, with a you know, Macedonian accent. And he pulls out his hand and he's got five fingers in front of him and his thumb. And he tips each one of them. And he goes, you want to shop for your friends. You only want five friends. And you want to shop for them like you shop for fruit. And he would tap it and he goes, when you're shopping for fruit, you want to tap it. You want to make sure you're picking the best fruit to bring into your house. And then he goes, you want to smell it. And he's smelling his finger like it's a piece of fruit. And he goes, he taps all of them and you want to pick the best five to bring home to your fruit bowl so your family can enjoy. And that's the best thing, the best way you should operate with your friends. 
And I was fascinated about this. Mm. And all of a sudden, I was like, who's... And you being in the world of a 60-year-old in the nightclub industry and that bouncer that wanted to threat someone else, mm. I was like, wow, that guy really don't want to bring home. No. Not at all. And I realized, like, wow, I started culling some friends. Yes. Who weren't working for me. Now, I took that analogy and extrapolated it and created my fruit bowl theory. And... Um, I connected fruits to type of people. So for example, um, I'd go shopping for fruit and I literally, when we go into the fruit store, Samantha's like, here we go. Like, <laughs> and I connected certain fruits to people in my life. For an example, I've got friends in my life and I'll go back to the story of my grandfather. Um, I've got people in my life who are bananas. And when you look at a banana, like a banana is high in vitamins now for any of the foodies I love you because you work in a food sort of growing thing mm. any of the foodies if I get this wrong like I might get this wrong but bananas my understanding have a high level of nutrients very very high in whatever vitamins they provide um, and carbohydrates and very good for you especially after a workout or before a workout having a banana and what I realized I was like man my banana friends really do provide a lot to me however you definitely, definitely don't want to slip up on a banana. And you don't want to push the banana the wrong way and step on the peel and slip, right? Yeah. Now, the also characteristics about a banana is they grow in big groups and bunches. Yeah. But you definitely don't want to have more than one banana. Right. Because you get constipated. Yeah. And, like, the banana is an individual person. You only need one banana to provide the nutrients. Hmm. I was like, wow. Like, I cannot get all my bananas all together in one group. They're just, it's too much for the, the fruit bowl. Mm. I was like, wow, that's an awesome analogy. And I started identifying who my banana friends were. Then I realized, like, there's grapes. And I was like, this is awesome about what you're working as well. I'm just getting present to that. There's my fruits who are grapes. Now, the grapes actually really need good soil to grow. Now, the awesome thing about grapes is once they have their good soil, they grow up and they're always, always above you. So you've got to reach up for your grapes. Now, the cool thing about grapes is you reach out to them However, they're not just, a, it's not a, you can't just eat one grape. So I've got my friends, they're like, man, I can bring all my grapes together. I love my grapefruits. And so I bring all my grapes together. Um, and then I've got, so this is where the, the shopping really started for fruits and connected them to, you know, stories. And then I've got my strawberries. Now my strawberries, like, they're my types of friends that, you know, grow in the dirt. And however, you definitely don't want to be too rough with the strawberry. But you need to be a little bit rough to wash off all the sand and they've got all the little bits on them. So you can be a little bit rough. Um, and they're a fruit that you don't want to squeeze too hard. But so juicy, so beautiful, tastes so nice. And I was like, wow, this is an awesome analogy. <laughs> so I sit down with my grandfather. I said, look, I love your analogy, but I do not agree with you one part. I said, what? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I've got my friends who are bananas. But the thing is, bananas go off. And I still want to be able to enjoy my bananas in different, so many ways to eat your bananas. Now, if you want to have your bananas in a smoothie, you've got to peel them first, then freeze them. And then you can enjoy them before they go off. Even if they are off, you can cook them in a pie. And he looks at me and he starts to cry. And he goes, that's a beautiful way, Shane. And my grandfather's named Shane as well. So yeah. I was named after him. And I said, I love your analogy, but I want to have the best of my fruits. And he goes, what are you going to do with the bad fruit? And I said, the perfect example is a prickly pear. Now, do you know what a prickly pear is? No. Prickly pear is actually connected to the cactus fruit. This all started, I'm at IGA in June lot. And we're doing shopping. And I look at this section. It says prickly pears. 
handle with care. I was like, wow, this is, I said, what's this fruit? I've never seen it before. And every time we go fruit shopping, Samantha's like, okay, here's a prickly pear. What are you going to create with this, Shane? And I pick up the prickly pears and I start putting them in the bag. And so I grab them with my bare hands. Yeah. So I put them in, tie the bag up, go to the front counter, and I go put my hand in my wallet to grab, to pay for the prickly pears. And I go, ah, oh, what the hell? And I had prickles that connected to the cactus fruit. So I've got little cactus prickles all over my hands. And I just start smiling and I start laughing. And I'm in pain as well. And I just lose it in the shopping center. And I see all the IGA staff in the background with tweezers pulling out the prickles as well. And they look at me and say, oh, we need to put a warning sign for the prickly pear. And I was like, no, it's amazing. It's great. And I said, the friends in my life who are prickly pears. And they're the people that you definitely do not want to put in your fruit bowl at home. However, you need to handle them with care. Now, I went back home, bring the prickly pears, and I did the research. And the research is wear gloves to protect yourself. You can burn the crap out of the prickly pears. You can burn the front of the fruit to be able to peel it off. And when you eat a prickly pear, they are absolutely delicious. And I thought, wow, there's friends in my life that will prickle you. And there's people in my life that you want to really handle with care. Mm. And they're the people that you can be rough with. They're the people you can talk straight with. They're the people that can really, you can give it to them hard and they will provide the best fruit to you. And these are the people that you don't want to mix with your friends. You don't want to put them in your fruit bowl because their prickles will infect all the other fruit. And the last thing you want is some prickles in your mouth. No. <laughs> and that's a fruit bowl analogy. I found my shoes with my grandfather. And um, one day, one day, we write a children's book on this. For young people to understand how to best enjoy the fruit in their life Excellent. and um, it's a really cool analogy that I've come up with and um, so when I meet with people who go wow that person really didn't land well for me and I realize they're, they're the prickly pears and there's a whole other bunch you know there's prunes and there's um, you know um, pumpkins I'm a pumpkin um, so awesome thing about pumpkins is they actually grow on the ground and one thing that pumpkins are really good at is um, reaching their roots out and growing networks and the cool thing about pumpkin, you can, you can you see pumpkins growing on the side of the street. So you can put me in a prison, you can put me in any kind of environment, at-risk kids, and I'll be able to survive and still pop out the other side. Um, <laughs> and so, the, yeah, they're my pumpkin fruits that I have in my life. And um, every time I meet someone new, I connect them to what kind of fruit will this person be in my life and how can I enjoy the best of that fruit, even when it's going off. You don't have to throw it away. And uh, I love sharing that back with my grandfather and something I'm going to share with my children and kids um, is enjoying the best of the fruit that you have in your fruit bowl. Excellent. Mm. Excellent. So to the adults that are listening to this, mm-hmm. we've talked about what they can do as uh, those that are parents, but those who are listening to this and going, wow, wow, yeah, there's loads of stuff in it. What, what sort of advice would you give them based on everything that we've talked about? Yeah. That, that they can apply to their own lives, whether they're, you know, 40, 50, 60 whatever yeah good um, just to be clear on your question what can they provide in their own life for themselves and their own vision or yeah yeah good I think one big question to ask yourself would really be right now if it's a question to ask young people if you could have absolutely anything right now what would be the most important thing to you and then share that with your children or mm. share that with someone that you haven't shared with before and make that phone call and say hey look I was listening to this podcast and there was this guy named Shane it was a bit weird and I'm talking about fruit bowl theories and all that sort of <laughs> stuff and he 
asked, uh, asked ourselves the question, if you could absolutely, what would it be? And I really got to see for myself, this is something that's really important to me. And then share that with someone and then figure out who you could have in your life that would make that happen and take the action and do that. I can definitely share one story that would be able to provide um, the listeners an insight to take action. So we've got a partnership with the um, June Light Martial Arts School and we provide vision sessions for all their black belt students. And um, we did a vision session for this one girl and of the group and um, she ended up going back home and was crying in the car and said, wow, I really got that. I really want to be present with my family more. The parents rang the instructor of the school and the instructor rang me. He's like, mate, what'd you do to that girl? She was crying in the car and now her parents want you to do a vision session with the parents? And long story short, we did a vision session with this, um, these parents and we did a parent vision session. And the guy goes, mate, I want to ride roller coasters. It was late 50s. And... Um, and the wife said, oh, I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be in California driving a car on the highway. And um, I said to the, the, the elderly gentleman, I said, roller coasters, like out of everything, why rolling a roller coaster is so important? And he goes, I just remember as a kid, I loved roller coasters. And if I could still hop on roller coasters, I would love to ride every roller coaster around the world. And I was a really 55-year-old man who wants to go on a roller coaster. And it just lit him up. And I said, well, what would you need to do? And he goes, well, I know there's a roller coaster club and a group of men who ride, who actually wear like vests. I don't know what the club's called. Yeah. And, you know, the whole Harley riding midlife crisis. This guy was like, they ride vests and they go travel and check out roller coasters around the world. I'd love to get in contact with them. And he shared that with his wife. And his wife was like, I never knew that's what you wanted to do. He's like, yeah, I love roller coasters. And all of a sudden, they're having a conversation about how can we ride roller coasters together and go on a holiday? About riding a freaking roller coaster. And one of the things, one of the actions, so usually when I do a big seven-day challenge, um, sorry, a big vision session with a group, we actually have a seven-day challenge after it. And they've got to do something for their vision within seven days. And he had to get in contact with this group and get a vest for himself and ride a roller coaster. And the awesome thing about it, he's created a relationship with his wife where she now knows his vision is to ride a roller coaster. And they got to do that. And um, that, was, that was something that was really awesome. And a 55-year-old man, he goes, wow, I really want to be part of this roller coaster club. And his wife was like, I'll support you doing that. So I guess that's what I want to have for the parents listening. What's something in your vision that you never got to take action on? And um, call someone and share that and do that. Excellent. Hmm. I really like that. Yeah, it's really cool, hey? I really like I actually that. really want to find the roller coaster club. I just think that's phenomenal. Yeah. Like a bunch of men with these bikey sort of vests, instead of riding Harleys, they're out riding roller coasters, screaming like, ah! Pretty cool. <laughs> it is very cool. Indeed. Mm. Indeed. So if you look back over your uh, over the time that you've been doing this, mm-hmm. what, um, what's been your best day? If you were to really ask me like why I do what I do, yeah. Um, when you give people an opportunity to actually see their potential and they smile, mm. um, really makes my day. It really yeah. does. When you have a young person goes, when I uh, we had one young person, uh, his dream was to set up audio equipment. 
and he went to the whole sound and lighting and big concerts and that and when I rang him up and said look I found an organisation who's willing to take you on and they're going to let you set up all the sound and lighting and they actually offered him a job which is really cool now he's at Whopper doing you know um, that he said wow thank you so much and uh, I get off the phone like wow that is awesome yeah. so that's um, yeah the best day the best real days for me is going through the other side of that hard time um, like the house losing the house sort of thing and getting to the other side of that when you get to really interesting thing I'm about to say which might not land too well um, you're never really going to get to happiness you're going to have spikes of happiness mm. and then you're going to have spikes of sadness and I think it's enjoying the roller coaster. Talking about roller coaster analogy, enjoying the roller coaster ride hmm. um, when it's going up and when it's going down. And you know the best thing, even saying this right now, like I was so nervous being on here. I'm even nervous now. I'm like, man, are we really going to post this out? Some of the things I've said on here are horrible. <laughs> um, people are going to call me and be like, that was stupid what you said. Like that's what's going on for me. And enjoying that part of this podcast is actually probably the, one of the best things right now. Um, Something I'm really looking forward to um, is going for this government grant right now. And when we get the email saying you've been successful with the application, um, it's going to move me because I think that's when I'm going to be able to say, wow, I've created something. Like there's no, there's no such thing as a private social youth work enterprise in Australia at all doing vision work. Like it's all come from nothing. Like my journey, my story to never even wanted to do this in the first I never wanted to be a youth worker counselor I wanted to be a famous DJ mixing music and doing that whole lifestyle um, so the best thing for me is is doing what I do now man it's actually one of the best things I've ever got to experience it's really cool does that answer your question I can't even yeah. really give you a best time man because um, yeah. I really still DJ yeah I still DJ um, for you know, a bit of fun here and there um, but I don't I stay away from all the nightclubs and that sort of stuff now <laughs> Um, my mechanics will take over like put me in that industry in that field I'll probably start um, you know enjoying it too much no I still love to mix but I don't um, I don't really do that anymore hmm. so what are the um, big focus areas goals over the next three to five years so? yeah great so by the end of this year um, um, really having um, Insane's vision work be rolled out nationally um, so that's the big goal for this year is to start that process um, discovering for myself who I need to be to manage a team of 15 and 20 people and you know um, that's a big goal for me and being out on a national national level creating vision work and providing opportunities for young people across Australia um, and doing big vision sessions with big groups of people um, so that's a big five year goal for me and, mm. and um, what's this thing about a Porsche oh okay cool <laughs> So, on my vision board, there's a Porsche 911 Carrera. And um, so, I do a new vision session every 6-12 months for myself. And then play little games to make that vision come alive. So, going through my process, um, I was like, man, what am I going to do to be able to have a Porsche experience or buy a Porsche? And I thought, well, obviously, I need to go test drive a Porsche. I'm like, who the hell am I to go test drive a Porsche? So we go, I end up driving a Shellingworth. You obviously Envision is a Porsche. Engagement, I need to engage with the Porsche dealership. So I drive to Shellingworth near Frio and I walk inside. Oh no, sorry, I park at the back and I've got my car parked. 
And I even dressed up nicely. I'm like, oh, I've got to make sure I look good. Mm-hmm. And I sat in the car for about half an hour. And I looked in the mirror, started the car, and I drove back home. And I walk in, and my fiance Samantha, goes, how was it? And I said, oh, I didn't walk inside. And she looked at me, she's like, are you serious? You tell kids and young people and everyone to follow their vision. Here you are, and you haven't followed yours. Like, what's that all about? And I said, I just got scared. And she goes, well, you're obviously going to have to go face that. And she got me to go back. And I actually went back the following weekend, and I dressed normal. Um, and I walk inside, and I head straight to the counter. There was a beautiful girl um, standing at the counter. And I thought, oh, man, I need to approach her and say what I'm here for. And I said, look, my name's Shane. I've actually got no money to buy a Porsche at all. And one of my visions is to start a youth agency and to provide that. And one day I know I'm going to be able to provide um, the money I need to buy a Porsche. And I've come in here and I'm actually really scared to be here. And the reason I want to drive a Porsche is I want to know what it feels like to be someone who can be able to afford that. Mm. And I've got no money. And she looked at me like gobsmacked. And she goes, okay, well, um, thank you. And I'll get one of the car salesmen. Aldo, this guy comes out and in front of everyone in the whole yard goes, oh, so you're the guy with no money, hey? (laughs) And I went, oh my God, Um, yeah, that's me. And he goes, well, you know, share with me why you're here. And I had to tell him why and what Porsche meant to me. You know, I said behind the vision, this has got nothing to do with the Porsche at all. Yeah. And I sat with him and I said, look, the truth is, when I asked a vision question for your dream car, I said, I want to know what your dream car is. Um, I want to know what color it is, what car it is, where you're driving, who's in the car with you, what conversation's being had, if there's anyone there with you, and what music's playing in the background, and where you're driving. And I shared with him, I said, look, the truth is, like, I imagine myself driving this Porsche with some uh, deep house music playing in the background, and I'm by myself, and I'm heading home after uh, a day of work of working with you know young people and I get home and there's a car just stable with a gate opening and the car's rumbling and I can just picture myself there and and I'm driving in slowly and I pull up into the garage and then two baby girls come running home saying dad's home and I hear the girls come in they they run into the garage one jumps on me one's trying to hop in the car I'm like girls come on get out of the car and that's Let's go inside and there's Samantha having a glass of wine and we're having dinner and we put the movie on and put the girls to sleep and me and Samantha stay up and having a conversation. And then I get up in the morning and I get walked to the Porsche again. And that's what Porsche means to me. And I said, whoa, it actually means like I'm safe and I've done everything I can, so I'm not losing my house and I've got the money I need to make a difference in the world. Yeah. And I shared it with the car server and his mouth was like open He's like, let's get in the car. Let's drive. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm driving this Porsche down Canning Highway. And he's like, mate, put in sports mode, open it. And me and Aldo start talking about personal development and visions and whatever. And we're having this amazing conversation. And I'm driving this steering, I'm driving and I'm holding the steering wheel and we're opening this Porsche. I was like, it's awesome. It's such an awesome experience. And in my rear view mirror, I see another Porsche coming down. And I go into like Vin Diesel, you know, fast and furious mode. And I caught myself and I was like, wow. And the portion that passing me, and I forgot it was there. And I thought, this is it. This is the experience that I've been chasing for. It's got nothing to do with the Porsche at all. I'm surrounded with this guy. He's awesome. We drove back. I was at Porsche for literally nearly five, six hours. I spent the whole day there. 
and I spent the um, time with one of their big managers and we were custom designing my dream Porsche from seatbelt colors to everything. And I've gone from like someone who was too scared to walk in here and I've made best, me and Aldo are actually best mates now. I was actually speaking to him two days ago. Um, and I've walked out of Porsche with my dream car. It came up to half a million dollars, my dream Porsche. And I've got a packet on what my dream Porsche looks like, what it's going to cost. I've got, I'm walking out with a show bag with like Porsche signs and these posters. And then a few days later, I get an invitation for a Porsche track day to come along to the Porsche track day from Porsche. Um, I'm actually friends with the president for the Porsche Car Club. I'm actually a member of the Porsche Car Club now. Um, and I was at the um, club meeting a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks ago at um, Cottesloe, hanging out with all these guys, and I'm sharing my story with them. And they're telling me, Shane, this is exactly what we were like. I was like, holy crap, you guys aren't a bunch of snobby guys who drive fast cars. And it's like, yeah, we were exactly where you were. We just really stayed disciplined to our vision. I was like, holy crap, like my whole vision process got blown. I was like, yeah. that was the whole point. It's got nothing to do with the car at all. I got to now see myself as someone who can drive a Porsche and I'm surrounded by all these guys who have Porsches. We're actually going out to the Porsche. I still don't have a Porsche, yeah. um, but I'm surrounded with people that keep inspiring me and motivating me to stay alive to my vision. Mm. And now we're applying for a $5 million grant. Whether I apply mm. for a Porsche or not, I don't even want the Porsche anymore. It's not even about the Porsche at all. I'm surrounding myself with people who get to share stories with me about what it took for them to get there. Hmm. Um, That's the next level fruit bowl. That is the next level fruit bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, mate. The cool thing about, I caught up with Aldo and uh, the car salesman and it was really interesting is I shared, you know, we did a vision question session with him and he goes, Shane, do you know what my vision is, mate? He goes, to drive a crap car. Pull it up at Leaderville hop out in front of everyone and feel good about myself. I was blown away by then. I was like, are you serious? You see Aldo, he wears a suit. He'll have a little thing coming out of his pocket. He looks like a million bucks when you see Aldo. He drives drive a $200,000 car. And all the guy wants to do is drive, you know, wear short thongs, drive a crappy car and walk out of it and feel good about himself. And be okay. And be okay. And I was like, wow. Like, everyone's got their own version of their vision. Hmm. And... Um, there you go. That's the Porsche story for me. And I share that every time I do a vision session about, I want to know what that car is for you. I don't care what it is, even if it's a Ferrari. Who do you need to be to walk into a Ferrari and test drive a car? Mm. And it takes a lot of courage. It does. To walk into a store and say, look, I've got no money to do that. And, and it's so awesome. The guys are like so inspired by my story. I get to now sit in Porsches all the time. So there you go. Watch out, high-end car salesman. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to get inundated. <laughs> well, that, it's funny you say that. Um, that's actually what the, that does happen. And I get a phone call saying, I'm at the um, Range Rover or whatever dealership. Um, I'm too scared to walk inside. I'm going to go home. No, no, no. You go in there and speak to the car salesman mm. and take the car for a drive. And they'll call me after that. I'm like, oh my God. Go to get on that roller coaster ride. Whatever. Whatever the vision is for people. That's what I love to do, man. It's awesome. Mm. I actually feel really lucky. This thing reminded me. I, many years ago, I was in London and I was just looking outside the, uh, near, on Savile Row which is famous for suits. Mm-hmm. And I was standing outside the Oswald Botang um, tailors. Mm-hmm. Now, people who don't know who Oswald Botang is, he's a very famous tailor, uh, designed all the suits in the Matrix movies and all that sort of stuff. And oh, his, wow. And his place is immaculate. So I'm looking outside. Next minute, I'm, I'm walking in and I'm just having a look. And then the next minute, I'm wearing a 3,000 pound suit and I don't know how that happened 
with the tie and the suit. But hold a second, you bought the suit or you just... No, bought... I didn't buy it. Yeah, you're wearing it. Okay, no, God. I didn't have the money to buy yeah, it. Yeah, 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 wicked. And the next thing you know, I'm standing there in front of a mirror and I'm wearing this... Three... I, I added it all up, shoes, socks, the works, everything <laughs> that awesome. handed me. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm wearing 3,000 I remember the bloke just saying to me, um, he didn't say, what, what, how does it look or anything like that. He just says, how does it feel? Wow. And I just yeah. stood in front of the mirror and went, oh, he said, how do you feel? And I remember just looking at him and going, fucking powerful. And it's just like, where did that come from? Yeah, wow. Mental. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And then just by you feeling that way, isn't that like the whole world shifts? Talk, funny talking about the Matrix. Mm. Um, whole world shifts. Yes. That's awesome. And do you think, do you know what's really, I really love that? Whether you took the suit off or not, you know that you can be someone who's powerful. Hmm. It's really interesting. I find that fascinating. I don't know what the science is behind all that. You know, Indeed. Get into the world of psychology about that, but cool. So here's a, quick, here's a question I, I frequently ask guests towards the end of the interview, uh, conversation is, if you could go back and speak to Shane, hmm. just as he's being told at school, your mum's not going to, your mum's not going to be picking you up today hmm. and give that Shane a quick piece of advice. Hmm. What would it be? Um, don't give up. Don't give up. Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. That's one of the big things is, um, and slow down. Yeah, slow down. Don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Hold your hands down. Well, as soon as you said that, um, yeah, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And for all the listeners here, quick piece of advice, quick last lesson or last nugget of knowledge you want to oh. get across? Um, Look in the mirror and uh, ask yourself as a, as a young person, if I could hear something or what would, what would I wish I heard more of as a kid growing up um, and then tell yourself that while looking in the mirror. Um, and then smile. Just look in, smile, look, in, look in the mirror and smile and just love who you are. Like it's such the hardest thing to do. Um, and even the work I do, it's easy for me to love others um, and I forget to love myself so I love to look in the mirror and smile and say Shane I love you because um, if you can't love yourself how the hell are we going to be able to provide that to others um, so yeah there you go Shane it's been absolutely awesome talking to you today thanks fella <laughs> um, so much in there about visioning um, oh just so much it's going to take <laughs> Oh, it's going to take me a couple of days to uh, process okay, conversation. Good. <laughs> I should be listening to it again in the car later today. Um, yeah, thank you very, very much for coming here today, giving us the time, being super vulnerable, sharing a lot of things. Certainly at the start, there was a lot of things that you were mentioning. Mm. You were saying, oh, I've not met, I haven't told this before, or I haven't visited this in a long mm. time. And then sharing what you do and just, not just telling us what you do, but giving us a real personal insight to it and sharing the stories and, awesome. and, and just bringing your enthusiasm to this so Great. Shane thank you very My much absolute thanks for having me and uh, I thank the, the listeners I'm damn sure there's shitloads you can get out of this <laughs> just uh, go and do some visioning yeah so Shane thank you so much for My your time man. Pleasure. thanks man cheers, cheers.